thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. So I'd like you to stand with me, and we're going to read out of Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 20 through 25. Um, I hope this morning is to give you some uh, background on this particular passage, uh, and then uh, share briefly some points that I think we can apply to uh, our own life, so I don't anticipate a lengthy message. Those are the famous last words of every preacher, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, I do anticipate a word that will uh, call us to prayer. So beginning in Acts chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 20, it says, Now he, and uh, the he uh, in this particular passage is uh, Herod. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a moment. Uh, he, Herod, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John who was also called Mark. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just continue to work by the power of your spirit. Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us into your truth and that you would help me, Lord Jesus, to hide myself behind the cross. Lord, that we would preach Christ and him crucified. God, that uh, you would work through the power of the Spirit to touch our ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to not say anything that would distract from the message uh, which you would have us to hear and to receive this morning. We thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness and for your grace and your love and kindness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to say a, a special welcome to uh, Brother James Powers, who attends here and is recovering at UVA Hospital. He told me he'd be watching this morning. And so, Brother James, we're so glad that you're watching along with others. And we'll continue to pray for you and for uh, your your healing. Uh, as if you've read through the Gospels and through the book of Acts, you become acquainted with a number of people uh, named Herod. And so as we kind of start out the message this morning, one of the things that we want to kind of pull uh, together is who is this particular Herod? As you think about names in the New Testament, one of the things that you find is sort of reverse from how uh, we think of things. So if, if you were here in the congregation this morning and you were to call out and say, McCready, you might have nine people who would respond to you uh, because there's, well, my son is on the mission trip, but there's uh, eight of us here who uh, might have that, who have that last name, who may respond uh, to your calling out uh, our name. And so when we think of uh, a name for someone in our culture, in our day, we would think of Robert McCready or Nicole McCready or Seth 
uh, McCready. But in uh, the scripture, and particularly with uh, Herod, it is actually reversed. So Herod is technically the name of a family and of a family dynasty. So when we see the name of Herod at the beginning of Jesus's life at his birth, that Herod is a different Herod from the Herod that we're talking about uh, today. The Herod in the beginning was Herod the Great, and this is actually his grandson who is uh, Herod Agrippa. And so this is the person that uh, we are uh, talking about Herod the Great, who is back in the Gospels at the beginning of Jesus' life. He married a woman who was of Jewish lineage, whose name was Mariamne. And uh, Mariamne and Herod the Great married, and one of uh, their grandsons here is Herod Agrippa I. And so Herod Agrippa has some Jewish lineage. And so he has some sympathies to the Jewish people. He liked the Jewish people. He wanted to please the Jewish people. He was influenced by the Pharisees, and thus he wanted to help them put down Christianity, which is why back at the beginning of the chapter, which Brother Noel preached to you uh, last week, we see that he killed uh, James. And then when he saw that people were pleased that he killed James, who was one of the leaders of the Christian movement, he went after Peter as well because he was wanting to uh, please the larger Jewish uh, population. And what we see in uh, Herod is a leader who feeds off of his own uh, pridefulness. He is a people pleaser. Have you ever been around someone who is a people pleaser? We see that again back in the beginning of chapter 12 and verse 3. We also see it here in verse 20. When we know the backstory of what was going on in the cities of Tyre and Sidon, what was happening was Herod was in charge of kind of the distribution of food into the various provinces. And because he had gotten upset with them, he cut off their food supply. And so the people of Tyre and Sidon, what they're doing is they're kind of coming back to Herod and now sort of groveling at his feet to say, hey, open back up the food supply to us. Open back up our distribution of Food And so he is enjoying when people have to come to him and ask for favors, ask for him to step in, ask for him to kind of come on the scene and to help them with whatever is necessary. And their means, the people of Tyre and Sidon, to win him over was to further inflate his pridefulness. What we see in verses 20 through 25 in chapter 12, what Luke writes to us is actually attested to by a historian who is outside of scripture. You may, in your study of ancient history, have heard of the name Josephus. And Josephus was a very important person because he wrote out uh, much of the history of the early Christian church. He himself wasn't a Christian, but he was a Jew and he aligned himself with the Roman Empire. Didn't have a lot of Christian sympathies, but what's interesting is that he tells this same exact story from someone who is sort of outside of Christianity looking at what is happening at this same exact event. And so what we're able to do is take Luke's telling of the story here in the book of Acts and kind of put that together with what Josephus tells and kind of get a full picture of actually what 
was happening. And so in Josephus, in his book that he had written, he writes the account of what happened when Herod comes out and the people of Tyre and Sidon are there and sort of what is going on. And so what Herod was doing in this instant, he was planning to celebrate uh, Caesar with a festival of sporting events, as well as probably celebrate his own birthday, which would have been on what day do you think? August the 1st. So just imagine, we're in the midst of the Olympics, and I'm preaching this message to you on August the 1st. What are the chances? I don't think our Lord operates by chance, does he? So there's a grand theater that was there, and Herod, in the midst of this grand celebration, wanted to kind of step out and make an impression upon the people. And so Josephus records for us again some details of this event that Luke doesn't include. And there's a reason that Luke doesn't include them, because Luke doesn't want necessarily to put in all the little pieces and nuances because it doesn't serve his overall purpose about saying how the gospel spread. Josephus wants us to understand in a historical way exactly what was happening. And so he actually tells us how Herod was actually arrayed, what he was wearing on that day when he stepped out into the theater and was in front of all the people. And so Herod had had special robes that were woven for him that were actually woven with silver thread throughout them. And so imagine stepping out into the theater, Herod made the, uh, made the decision that he was going to step out at the early dawn and face towards the sun. So the sun would be shining on him as he was wearing his garments that were threaded with silver. Now what would happen? The sun would begin to reflect upon that. And so now we get what is happening here in verse 22, where the people keep crying out the voice of a God and not a man. Because he's shining as bright as the sun in these garments that the sun is gleaming upon. And Josephus says as well as Luke, that Herod did not rebuke the people. And Josephus tells us, just like Luke, that Herod was seized with severe pain, and Josephus records, in his bowels, and he suffered continuously for five days, and then he died. Medical doctors who have looked at Josephus' account and Luke's account, they kind of sort of kind of speculate about what had happened and think that possibly Herod had a ruptured appendix and that was compounded by what would have been common in his day uh, of an infestation of intestinal roundworms. Luke says that the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, if we were to look at Josephus' account in our day, what we would say is, oh, there's this kind of religious group that thinks God did something, but there is a natural circumstance here that happened. Herod just happened to have appendicitis. His appendix burst. He had a bout of round worms, and it was just an awful kind of death that he suffered, and he died, and these two are not related at all. 
But when we read the gospel account, the gospel account in the book of Acts tells us that these two are clearly related. And I think it relates to you and I and how we must see what is going on in our world today. We can say that what is happening in Scripture and God's work in the world and what God is doing in the world is not related to our circumstances at all, to what is going on in the world in the political realm and in uh, the, the, the realm with the uh, virus that is spreading the world and other things that are happening, that these two really aren't related at all. In fact, they're kind of separate realms in which God is at work over here and there is the realm of, of politics and life and other things that are happening over here, but the two don't really intersect at all. And I think what this, uh, what this account and what Luke is communicating to us is actually that the two are entwined very tightly. In Herod, we see someone who tried to garner favor by pleasing people and when they did not do what he wanted, he punished them until they came groveling to him like the people of Tyre and Sidon. He was prideful. He used murder and starvation in order to prop up his ego. And when we read through this account and we see, and really in chapter 12, what I think Luke is really pointing us to is a high political ruler who is battling against God. If you read through chapter 12, that's really the picture that comes through is a political ruler who is battling against God. And one of the first principles that I see out of this is that God always wins. Battle God all you want, fight God all you want, turn against God all you want, but God always wins. There is never a circumstance or never a situation where God will not come out triumphant. Herod was in a position of power and thought. He was in control of life and death of others. Yet Herod himself was a pawn in the hands of God. Verse 24 tells us that after these events, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. What Herod actually tried to crush became multiplied by the hand of the Lord. Though political leaders and even religious leaders may fail us, God will not fail us. We have to put our trust and our hope in the Lord. God always wins. You will never fail by putting your trust in the promises of God. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. God always wins. We also see in this account that God is zealous for his glory. Herod was not the first or the last who tried to steal the glory of God. And mind you, this wasn't the first time that Herod tried to steal the glory of God. So we can think, oh, well, this was the first time he did this. And then God smote him with this horrible disease and he died a few days later. No, this was a lead up to this event. And so when we look out and we think at all the rulers in the day who are doing all the wicked things, all they're doing is what Romans tells us they're doing. And that is storing up for themselves wrath against the day of wrath. It's like a bank account. 
and they're depositing in their bank account wrath against themselves by what they are doing. And God is simply allowing them to increase their bank account over and over and over again. But there does come a time to pay up because God is zealous for his glory. We see here in Luke's telling that the angel of the Lord smote Herod while he was on the rostrum. When someone tries to steal the glory that is due to God, God and his agents act. You and I must act. When we see those who are trying to steal what is rightfully God's, if we are children of the Lord, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we too must act. We must be willing to confront political leaders, confront religious leaders when they try to store up for themselves the glory that is due only to God. No, I'm not asking anyone to go out and smite anyone. But what I am saying is that we must be willing when people try to take the glory that is only due to the Lord, we must be willing to confront them directly and repeatedly for taking what is only due to the Lord. Again, as we shared earlier, the world looks at things and explains them through a worldly lens. But as believers, we must look at things and explain them through a biblical lens. We must look at things and try to discern what is going on in our time. What is God speaking to us when we live in a world such as what we live in right now? God is stirring in my heart, I know, some things about where we are both as a people and as a church. And we have to be a church that is willing to do things a little differently, to act a little differently, to empower people a little differently maybe than what we're used to. Things are going to change. Things are going to get stirred up. And will you and I survive when that happens? Will our faith remain intact when these things come upon us? Things will not continue as they always have continued. But there will be a time when God begins a massive stirring. And I will say it has already begun in our world. The cosmic battle is between the children of light and the children of darkness. There is no middle ground. And what I believe God is doing even in our day is separating out his people. Where is your hunger? Where is your desire? Where is your longing? What have you set your affections upon? We must be zealous for the glory of God. It bothers me when I hear people brag about their own accomplishments. I've done this. I've done that. This is why you should listen to me because I've had this experience. I've had that experience. Who among us has not had an experience? Who among us has not had an understanding of the way things work or an operation that applies in a certain type of situation or a certain type of environment? Every single one of us has had those type of experiences. But we have to be careful 
that we don't act as if we're so good. I've learned so much. I've had so much experience. I've got so much education, and this is why you should listen to me. When we begin to talk like that, we've already begun to think like that. But for the grace of God, whatever this local church will become, whatever as a group of people we will be, it will be because of the grace of God at work in us. It will be because there are people who are humble enough to recognize that God is doing the work, not because we're so good, but because he is so great. It's all for his glory. And not one of us should think to steal God's glory away from him. Because God will not share his glory with anyone else. Isaiah 42 and 8 and 48 and 11 and many other passages tell us that God will not share his glory. Finally... At the end of this passage, even as Herod had gone through all that he had gone through and as he was smitten by the angel of the Lord and people are wondering what is happening and what is going on here, Luke tells us exactly what is happening in the midst of turmoil right here in this passage. If you know your history, this event of Herod's death created political upheaval in that uh, geographical area. And Luke tells us in verse 24 what was going on. The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Can I tell you today that in the midst of political turmoil in the United States of America, the word of the Lord can continue to grow and be multiplied? Can I tell you that in the midst of a world that is wondering what is going to happen in the midst of coronavirus, that the word of the Lord can continue to grow and to be multiplied, that this can be one of the greatest revivals of our day if you and I will do what God has called us to do and be faithful to give him his glory that he is due. The early church was not stagnant. The early church was not in decline despite political turmoil, despite what was going on in the world. The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. The passion of the early church continues to be the same passion of the followers of Jesus today. Do we have passion? I'm asking myself this question. God, do I have passion for what you're doing in the world right now? God, am I willing to do the hard things that it takes in order to be engaged with what you are doing? Am I willing to push away some things? Am I willing to engage in some things? We've talked about it before, but I wonder, would I be willing to spend an hour on my face consistently and regularly as part of a broader 24-7 prayer movement? Would I spend my time in prayer? Where's our passion? You know, you flip on the news, I see a lot of people being passionate about the political world. A lot of people are passionate about vaccines or not vaccines or this or that. A lot of people are passionate about those things. 
But let it not be named here. That's not what we're going to be passionate about. We're going to be passionate about Jesus. We're going to be passionate about seeking Jesus. We're going to be passionate about growing a church that seeks to multiply believers, whether it's here or out there or somewhere else over in Montana. We have to have that same passion as the early followers of Jesus because they had a zeal for the glory of God to be known to the ends of the earth. And it's only that passion, only that passion and zeal for the glory of God that will get us through what we're going to face in the days to come. I can tell you today, if you don't have passion for Christ, you will not persevere through the things that are to come. If you don't have passion for what Jesus is doing and your heart is not aflame with something that is, uh, that is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is not where you find yourself, fall on your face right now and cry out to God, stir me, stir up the cold embers within me that I would be passionate because a time is coming. The scripture tells us. When even the very elect would fall away, would the Lord not cut that time short? We must cultivate in ourselves a passion for the glory of the Lord. I want us to go into a focused time of prayer as a congregation. We must be a people that the one thing of God's glory is what draws us and ignites us. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we are going to pray and seek the Lord. And I do not want this to be a, uh, a singular prayer from my lips. In fact, what I'm going to ask that as they come and uh, lead us in uh, some times of worship, that if God moves on your heart, that you would actually come, uh, three or four people maybe, come and lead us in a time of prayer for the passion for the glory of God. It's not just something that a pastor can lead people in. It's something that the Holy Spirit has to come and brood among us to develop in us a passion for the glory of God. We are either passionate about giving God glory or we are passionate about taking glory for ourselves. And as we pray in these next few moments, what I've asked the Lord as I've prepared for this message is that God would stir a few of you to come and to lead us in a focused time of prayer that together we would have passion for the glory of the Lord. We would be as zealous as the angel of the Lord for God's glory to be rightfully His. They'll lead us in a chorus, and then we'll open it for a time of prayer. But let's seek the Lord together. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. 
If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.